Welcome to AI Ethics in Radiology, Emory University's Center for Ethics podcast on the applications of artificial intelligence in radiology practice. Hospitals and clinics are increasingly being approached by organizations working in artificial intelligence who invite them to share or sell their electronic medical data. This is to be expected as AI companies often have no data of their own, and so they look to the healthcare sector to supply it. Over the last few years though, a series of big data incidents have occurred that should give healthcare providers and their leadership significant pause when it comes to sharing or selling data with external entities. Navigating the complexities of patient authorization, data de-identification and data security, just to name a few, can be challenging and can require considerable experience and expertise. My name is John Banger. I'm a professor at the Center for Ethics at Emory University, and I'll be hosting this podcast. Here with me to discuss sharing and selling data is my friend and colleague, Dr. Nabil Safdar. Dr. Safdar is an associate professor in the Department of Radiology and Imaging Sciences at Emory University School of Medicine, and he's also vice chair of imaging informatics, as well as associate chief medical information officer for Emory Healthcare. Dr. Safdar, Thanks for joining me on this podcast and let me cut right to the chase and ask you when it comes to sharing and selling data, what are the considerations or items that you think healthcare professionals and their executive leadership should be most attentive to? John, as you know, sharing of data and healthcare uh, in the modern experience, you just can't have healthcare without the sharing of data. Um, whether it's for operations or continuity of patient care, um, you know, data and information about patients, it occurs every day, all day long, all the time in the background, uh, whether we realize it or not. And, and multiple organizations, institutions, entities are constantly sharing data about patients. And that's how it should be. Um, if I um, get my care, or if my family member gets care at one institution um, or uh, and then goes to another institution, I want that data for the sake of patient care to be easily transferred. And um, if they have business associates that help them analyze that data or process it in a way that would make it much more valuable for patient care, for my care, then I want that to be a lubricated process, one that's very efficient and quick. But now um, data is more than just about the traditional uses uh, in terms of operations um, and uh, you know quality of care and transfer of care, et cetera. It's also taken on another dimension. It's become valuable in and of itself um, for commercial development, um, for innovation, for um, research, um, and for public health in ways that it wasn't before. Right, so because now we have the technology to repurpose that data, and that's where the ethics kind of comes in, right? Are we are we repurposing this data for a public benefit, for a patient benefit, or are we repurposing it for a commercial benefit, which might not be bad. I mean, that might be all right, but. That's, I mean, it's when we start with those external uses of the data, that's when things I think start getting kind of tricky. The first thing that I look at, um, uh, you know, back to the original question, 
is really why are we sharing the data? Is it for um, research? Is it for patient care? Is it for operations? Um, is it for some other purpose? Why is the data being disclosed? Does it align with the basic mission of a university or healthcare uh, facility uh, or clinic or practice, whatever the case may be? If a clinic or, or a hospital or, a, I mean, a radiology clinic, an imaging center, uh, has an opportunity to sell, let us say, their de-identified images to a, a vendor, how in, in your mind and in terms of the people who you talk to, uh, how, how does that play out? What are you worried about anything in those kinds of, I mean, we're talking about de-identified data here, right? Because invariably we, we're, that's what we're talking about. So what, what are the things that you worry about when we start talking about those external kind of economic arrangements? Yeah, that's a great question, John. I mean, there's what's permissible, legal, and compliant, and then there's uh, what's most respectful of the patient and what's most ethical. And sometimes there's a gap between those different, um, you know, interests and those different concerns. I personally find selling of data distasteful. Um, uh, but it may be legal in some cases, particularly, like you said, if it's de-identified. De-identification and anonymization of data, in the United States anyway, has been a, a seen as kind of a, a red line beyond which it's fundamentally transformed from patient information to something else, which is no longer patient information. And I think Largely, that's held true for a long time, but my concerns are that now it is um, much easier than it was in the past to re-identify uh, individuals or populations. And frankly, you know, the analogy that I use is uh, if you've ever watched a crime show or some kind of murder mystery where they're where a, somebody with nefarious interests and nefarious intentions thinks that they can rub off the, the vehicle identification number in their car and that no one will be able to trace that car ever again. Well, they don't always realize that that VIN is embedded in multiple places around the, the vehicle on the frame and the door and some other label it's actually really hard to de-identify data and it's easier to re-identify data than ever before. So for all these reasons, you know, it gives me pause and concern. I know that there are um, some parties and practices around the country that are de-identifying um, and selling data and it's probably legal because it's no longer patient data at that it's point. No longer protected health information. That's right. Yeah. But it, but it gives me pause and it makes me concerned. I find it distasteful. And I think many patients would find it distasteful as well. And that ultimately is, I think, the, the, the major concern. Yeah. There are very few robust mechanisms which allow us to, tra to truly trace each parcel of data, almost you know, like you're tracing a title, you know what I mean, or a deed and saying, who owned this and what was it used for and who passed through it? And, and what were the purposes, particularly when it's de-identified, is very difficult to do that. And the technology 
Um, and the administrative burden is just not really there yet. Uh, you know, uh, as an industry or research field or discipline, data science, when it comes particularly to working with sensitive data like patient data, we're kind of in an adolescence. Our, our bodies can do a lot more than our, our judgment sometimes can keep up with. Um, so it's possible for us to do a lot of things, particularly as healthcare institutions enter bilateral relationships with vendors or startups or sometimes research partners and things like that, there's a lot that can be done and it's hard to know whether it should be done. And the issue that you bring up, I think really speaks to one that's been around for a long time since the Belmont report and that's informed consent and the right. issue of autonomy. Right. Um, and you know, we tend to think of informed consent um, when it comes to issues of you know, consenting to a specific procedure or participation in a specific study. But the use of big data really requires sometimes the pooling of data um, and analyzing it in ways that you couldn't have anticipated at the time of consent. I mean, in a, in a nirvana or an ideal situation, um, I would be able to receive a little notice that let me opt in and opt out every time a piece of data that originated from my body mm -hmm. um, somehow actually was going to be shared or used and, and I would be able to say, well, what's the purpose? Does it meet my personal agenda as a human being? But that doesn't exist as far as I know right now. Right, and, and, and also in a, in a perfect world, you might be told at the outset, so your authorization, uh, Dr. Safgar, would be good for two years or, or four years, after which uh, you would receive a notice uh, would you renew your authorization to allow us to use this data or? If you look at the legal frameworks, like I said earlier, there's a lot that we can do and then places like Europe or California are trying to catch up through GDPR uh, or um, the uh, California, um, I'm trying to remember, California Consumer Pri Privacy Act. Mm -hmm. um, but those are not universally applicable in, for example, Georgia or Illinois or New York State. Right. Um, and, and frankly, you know, they may not even, you know, we may look back 20 years from now and look back at those, um, you know, policies or regulations and say, wow, how, you know, maybe it was a good start, but maybe it didn't catch up to where we are in the future. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be constantly evolving. You know, if you look at um, things like big tech, Google, Amazon, yeah. you know, Apple, Facebook, these regulations have really been fashioned, I think, with them in mind, right? And, and people have largely made, most, most people, it seems to me the zeitgeist is that, well, if it's convenient and it's entertaining or if there's some value into it, I'm willing to, for the sake of convenience or entertainment, give some of my data to these big yeah. companies. But, or else you can't download the app, right? Or you can't I mean, use if, the app. if you're not going to agree to their privacy terms, you're not going to be able to download it. So right. you've got to you've got to set up your own email server, you know what I mean, or something <laughs> like that. But um, but with healthcare, the stakes are higher, right? Because the data is even more, a magnitude, an order of magnitude more sensitive, and it's an order of magnitude more valuable as well. So those same tensions that are addressed by uh, GDPR um, or other certain other you know similar uh, uh, regulations, 
you know, were not foreseen by regulation like HIPAA or high tech because they were largely fashioned before the age of big data, data science and artificial intelligence. So we've got a lot of catching up to do in the meantime. It's up to ethicists like you to frame that conversation, I think. Yeah, and John, it'll be interesting to see how attitudes towards privacy change over time because right. you know, I think, you know, I want to be clear, patients' privacy is largely respected. You know what I mean? The data is largely respected and, and not shared inappropriately. But as public um, um, expectations of privacy change, um, and people become more aware of the value of their general data, social media data, for example, and then even more importantly, their healthcare data. Well, if those changes titrate, if those expectations titrate over time, there's going to be a lot of catching up to do. Thanks again to Dr. Safdar for his insights. Our thanks also to Sam Kim, who did the audio production of this podcast, and to the staff at Emory University Center for Ethics, who maintained this webpage. We also thank the Advanced Radiology Services Foundation for their financial support of this podcast. And in case you're wondering, that's me on the piano. Please follow the projects and activities of Emory Center for Ethics on Facebook and Twitter and at our website, ethics.emory.edu. And check out our article, Sharing and Selling Images, Ethical and Regulatory Considerations for Radiologists, which recently appeared in an online issue of the Journal of the American College of Radiology. I'm John Banja. Tune in for future podcasts, and thanks for listening.